Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of ExecuTalks. Today's guest is Adina Hefetz, CEO and co-founder of Divi Homes. She grew up in Long Island, New York to immigrant parents who lived paycheck to paycheck and were not financially stable and this drove her ambition to be financially independent at a very young age. She would go on to work in lots of finance roles after college like investment banking, private equity, venture capital and also worked in product management before starting Divi with her co-founders. I am joined today by Divi Homes CEO and co-founder Adina Hefetz. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm in a high school classroom with you. Who are you in high school? I was super dorky in high school. I, I pretty much um, was doing all AP and IB, which is International Baccalaureate classes. Um, yeah. I um, was the president of Model UN. So talk about super dorky. That's exactly where I fit in. Your, uh, your parents immigrated to Long Island. Where did they immigrate from? My, you want to hear a funny story? Um, my, my mom was hitchhiking in Israel and my dad picked her up and that is how they met. No way. Um, and then, yeah, no way. yeah, my whole family as a result has this really special place in their heart for hitchhikers. So we, we always pick up hitchhikers, which is like not safe and not appropriate in this day and age. Um, but yeah. And so then they came back to the U S my dad, you know, ended up staying here with my mom um, and my parents couldn't get a mortgage. And so they found a lovely woman who's willing to give them seller financing on their, their home. Yeah. Um, and that was how my parents were able to afford their, their first property and have a bunch of kids. You're uh, you know, when you were a child, your dream was to be an ambassador. You decided to go study public policy in college. Is that right? So I studied public policy uh, in college, and I kind of joke now that I thought I'd be an ambassador, not realizing that that's not that's not a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you get appointed to that for for donating to campaigns and stuff. Um, I wanted to have an impact on the world, and my view that was that the best way to have an impact on the world was through government policy, um, helping with things like education, healthcare access to homeownership, things like that. So kind of in the same vein of what I really focus on at Divi. However, I also realized that um, the impact you could have coming from a business background might be a little bit um, more interesting. You can actually implement something than just purely working in the public sector. Now, that's not to say I think public sector jobs are awesome and um, really impactful. It was just a different approach that I ended up taking. So I ended up going into investment banking um, and then private equity. So it gave me kind of this basis for um, a business background. In college, I was also very, this is the theme of my entire life has been very dorky. Um, I was super into school. I TA'd. Um, I, I love learning. I, I'm a highly curious person. Um, and I spent a lot of my time just exploring, I think, in college. So I did everything from like science, math, history, public policy, art, philosophy. I wanted to be a sponge and just take in as much information as possible. You know, I, you know, while, while I was kind of like, um, you know, kind of reading a little bit about your story and about you, you know, you seem to be like kind of like financially driven at a young age. And um, I remember like a story that you, when you were in college, you went to the career center and you were like, okay, which job pays the most? And I think they said Goldman Sachs. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to go to Goldman Sachs because, you know, I, I want to make the most money. Do you feel like the fear, like, did you feel like you feared not having enough money growing up because of your immigrant mm. parent, because your parents struggled financially? Or like, what, what, what do you feel like drove you financially at that, at that age, looking back? So we grew up in a fairly low-income family. I mean, I remember growing up, my family lived very paycheck to paycheck. Saving was like not a thing. And um, 
my family, we saved in our house. I mean, that was the asset. That was the only asset that we really had. And so I was definitely motivated to be able um, to provide for myself. So I paid for my way through college. Um, and so when I said I needed a job at Goldman Sachs, it's because I had all the student debt. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to pay for that. I also felt like that if, in order to start a company and take that risk later on in life, I needed to create that sort of stable financial base earlier on. I had to work in investment banking. I had to work in private equity. I had to be able to pay my bills. And doing those things and working those jobs afforded me the a really um, great opportunity to take a risk later in life and start a company. You know, some some people will hear the advice of, um, you know, don't don't pursue a job just because of the money. How do you feel about that? How how should they th- be thinking about their career right out of college or like you know internships? Should they be thinking, you know, uh, how can I make the most money? Um, I think my thought on that is you should do what makes you happy in life. Ultimately, money is not going to be the the factor that decides your happiness. But what I knew I wanted to do, the thing that I knew that I would derive happiness from, I needed to be financially stable in order to take that risk. And and so that is why I made that decision. Now, call me a worry wart, but I like I couldn't just be like eating ramen every night, which you know, you still like you're struggling as a founder, but like not having that stability and and feel confident and be able to start a company and, and not have to worry. And so I think you should do whatever brings you happiness in life. And life is too short to do anything else. But you also have to know that there are times to get what you want long term. You need to make trade-offs in the short term, right? And you have to do things that maybe don't feel great in the short term to get to ultimately your long-term goals. And if you can get to your long-term goal right out of college, working in a job that brings you a lot of happiness and fulfillment, you should do that. But the job that I knew that would bring me a lot of happiness and fulfillment required that I do some things that maybe didn't bring me as much personal fulfillment, but allowed me to eventually get to the place where I can start something that does. So during college, Adina spent a summer with Goldman Sachs as an analyst and decided she wanted to pursue investment banking after graduating. Now, while she was at Goldman Sachs during her internship, the leaders at the company suggested that she would be a great fit for a human resources role. But Adina really wanted to get into investment banking. So after graduating, she went to go work for Merrill Lynch, which is now owned by Bank of America, and worked as an analyst there. Now, while she was at Merrill Lynch, she built a great relationship with her manager, and he would spend his time on the weekends mentoring her and preparing her for her next career move. After college, you went to Merrill Merrill Lynch uh, to work in investment banking. Yes. Why don't you go back to Goldman Sachs? So um, I did a summer internship at Goldman Sachs my sophomore year. And when I was interviewing, I didn't even know what an investment bank was. I mean, uh, my, 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 yeah, like my mom's a social worker. My dad worked in construction. I was like, what's a really good internship there? Like this place called Goldman Sachs. And I remember being like, okay, Goldman Sachs. Mm. And I mean, I like read the, I would go on, like I read, I tried to, but it's a very like amorphous idea of like, what does an investment bank do? Yeah. And I interviewed and what they do is they did a generic interview and they say where they think you'll be a really good fit. Yeah. And they looked at me and they said, you know where you would be really good in um, this team called human capital management, which is essentially their HR function. HR, yeah. And in some ways, I think that they just looked at me and they're like, oh, bubbly female HR. <laughs> like This yeah, is going to yeah, be... Yeah your area. And I remember I went to work in human capital management and people were like, you are the most quantitative person we've ever seen in this function. I had spreadsheets for everything. Everything was super organized, mm-hmm. right? I had like, I like made my own Excel models for HR. 
And I remember meeting with people and um, learning more about what an investment bank actually does that summer. So I, I met with the investment banking team. I met with sales and trading. I figured out what it was. So I came in knowing nothing. Mm. And during that two months, I taught myself what this type of a, a firm does. And from that, I said, you know what? I think I want to do investment banking. I think that is the path that I, I really want. And the feedback I generally got was, you're really good in HR. You should stay there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's cool. If you don't think I'm, I'm fit for investment banking here, that's okay. But I'm going to go do it somewhere. And I interviewed and I got a job at Merrill Lynch. And so I did my, my junior internship was with Merrill Lynch. And then that summer, Merrill Lynch got acquired by Bank of America. And so yeah. then I went back and worked for Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. There will be a lot of people in life that will say no to what you, or, or think that they maybe have a better view of what you should do with your life. Yeah. And my answer is like, you know yourself better than anyone. And if you want to do something, thank you for your advice. I'm going to go do what I think is best for me. And don't be nervous about the rejection. I think I was probably quite insecure about that early on. And then you realize that life is filled with these like little setbacks, but it puts you on a different path that is probably the right one to ultimately be on. It takes a lot of confidence, by the way, especially at that age. So like you mentioned, you started at Merrill Lynch, you know, after after, uh, after college. You didn't know anything about investment banking. How how was that? Like, what, do you remember like the first, uh, you know, the first couple months? Like, was it like, uh, how'd you feel? Well, how was that? Oh, I was terrible. I was like the worst investment banking analyst they had like ever hired. Oh, but my, I, I joke that like, even if I start out in the worst position, because I don't have maybe the knowledge or the wherewithal, or I didn't major in some sort of a business major. I was like, I'm going to be the best analyst by the time that my, my two years here is done. Mm. I might start from the lowest point, but I will get to the highest point because I'm going to learn and work my butt off further than anyone. I think my number one quality early on in my career was just like grit, willingness to get back up when I was knocked down um, and willingness to just work so hard. And I felt like I maybe started out in last place, you know, when I was just at the beginning, but I was definitely top bucket by the end of my two years there. And I had learned a ton and felt like it was a really good stepping stone and somewhat even a confidence boost of like, here's something that a lot of, there aren't a ton of women in investment banking. I don't look, feel like a business person, yeah. but I can do it. I can learn anything. And, and I think yeah. that it was this really eye-opening moment of confidence where I was like, I can learn. I can figure stuff out and I might not know it all going in and that might be a little embarrassing and I may have to ask more questions than the average yeah. person, but I'm a quick learner. You, uh, at, at a certain point, you made a good friend there. His name was uh, John Lee, I believe. How do you know this? <laughs> well, I mean, there's the internet, you know? <laughs> wow. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you made a good friend, John Lee, who, who ended up helping you get your next position at TPG. By the way, it seems like TPG is a great company because, um, some of the most successful people that I've talked to have like been through TPG. Like you probably know Spencer Raskoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of Zillow. Yeah. When we, had, yes. when we were interviewing him, he was like, yeah, TPG. So I'm like, wow, TPG must be like this place where it just produces lots of like unbelievable, you know, amazing people. Did you say to John, like, Hey, I want to move on, you know, help me find somewhere else to work or like, how did that sure. conversation start? So <laughs> John Lee, who, who now works for Blackstone, is tremendously successful and one of the smartest people I've ever met in my whole life. So we, we were put in a deal. He was on a different team in investment banking. I was in technology, media, and telecom. He was in leverage finance. We were put on a deal together. He was the senior analyst and I was the more junior analyst. 
And I remember when we started that deal, he looked at me and was like, do you have any idea what you're doing? And I was like, no, no, but I'm like, I'll work really hard. I promise I'll work really hard and I'll learn. And he taught me so much for like those first three months that we worked together. And by the end of it, he was like, okay, you've learned a ton and you're actually quite good right now. You just needed someone to teach you and you showed a capacity to learn. And he said, well, what are you doing with your, like, what do you want your career to be? And I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what you do from here. And he's like, you need to go work in private equity. And I was like, I don't even know what private equity means. He said to me, I came from a pretty humble family. Um, he's he's uh, Korean in Korea and made my way to the US and had um, built up a life. And he got a job at TPG and he's like, this is the path. And I see you as someone who comes from an equally low-income family. And I am going to give you the path to pull yourself into a world that would previously been unattainable to you. And he was like, we're meeting here every weekend. I'm going to prep you and you are going to get a job at TPG. And I remember being like, okay, sounds good. And I would show up on the weekend and he would be like, we're doing a leverage buyout analysis, which is what, you know, LBOs are what private equity funds do. And he would make me do it by hand and I get it wrong. And he'd say, start over. We're doing it again. And he'd grow me, grow me, grow me. So when I went into the interview, right, I knew everything. He had prepped me so well and basically was like, I'm going to give you the keys to an opportunity that would be quite hard to attain on my own. And so I, I owe everything in my life to him. He's, he's truly wonderful. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. You know, that mentorship was, was, you know, key for you, obviously just, you know, going to TPG and, um, he spent, you know, a lot, you know, he spent his, he was generous enough to spend his weekends, you know, kind of like mentoring you. What would you say to a, a new professional or a young professional who is looking for a mentor like that? Like what, how do you mm. behave in a way that, what, what, what do you think made him say, Hey, Adina, like, I want to, I want to mentor you. Like, what do you, what do you feel like makes people want to mentor others? If that makes sense, because you know, their, their time mm. is valuable and they can't mentor every single new, new or young professional. So what, what do you feel like, what, what can you do practically to like help get mentors like yeah so i was just thankful when i first met him to be able to even learn from him and so i would work my butt off so that he didn't have to work as hard and i i didn't always do it right i mean there were plenty of times where i completely screwed it up but i was like my job in life because i'm so thankful for everything you're doing is to make your life as easy as possible so when like the mds need an extra print out of the document you stay home i'm gonna run in and i'm gonna take care of it my like i worked so hard and I also just kept a good attitude. I thanked him constantly. Yeah. And I think that people genuinely love to help other people. So I think that you just show kindness, work really, really hard, and just keep a positive at. That's very, very sound. Like you, uh, you have to make, if, they, if you make their life easier, they all of a sudden, like, it's like the gradient is almost like there for them to want to. Wow, very powerful. Mm-hmm. So when I was at Square, there was a wonderful, there was one female partner. Her name was Carrie Wheeler. And she really mentored me. She kind of would take care of me, make sure I was staffed on the best projects, this idea of mentorship again. Carrie ended up going on to become, she's now the CFO at Open Door, which is a very similar company to Divi, but like much more ahead of us. And how the world connects is so important. So the importance of these mentorship relationships is that these people go on to do the most insanely impressive things. And you keep these relationships over decades. So what you think might be a quick relationship for a year, the world is really small. It will reconnect, form close bonds because it's going to play out over decades, not over a year. 
So after spending some time in private equity, Adina realized that she needed more experience as an operator within a business. Now, if you're not sure what all this terminology means, a private equity firm is a company that owns parts of private companies and advises those companies on how to operate. And they are incentivized because, well, they own a certain percentage of those companies. Now, Adina felt that she didn't have enough operating experience, meaning working inside of a business, to truly understand what problems these businesses might be having and therefore how to advise those companies. So she reached out to leaders at a company called Square, which you've probably heard of before, one of their tools is that little attachment on mobile phones. If you've been to any events or, you know, asked uh, Girl Scout cookies, can you guys accept credit cards? That little square on, on top of the phone is, is one of Square's products. So she went to go work for Square as a financial analyst, then moved into product management. That's when she realized her true passion. So you're uh, you're at you're at TPG for two years. So you, you decide to leave the world of investing and become an operator. Why did you decide that? You I think you went to Square right after that. Why did you decide that? When I was at TPG, a lot of the work was advising companies on how they can grow their 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 company and their business. And I remember sitting in on board meetings, and my job would be to come up with recommendations for CEOs, CFOs of of companies, very large companies. And I remember in those meetings feeling so inadequate. I remember feeling like, who am I to tell this person how to do their job? I'm like 20 something years old. I've never run a company. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And somehow I have to create this aura of me knowing what I'm talking about. And for me, that was terrifying. And so what I thought to myself is, I want to know what I'm talking about. Like, I never want to be in a job where I feel so unprepared or unable to do the job and do it well. And so I thought, you know, everyone's going after TPG. Most people go to business school. That's like the the natural route. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to stay in investing, I have to first be an operator. I have to know that I could do what I'm telling other people to do and that I've done it and I truly understand it. Otherwise, it just feels it would feel phony to me. And so that's why I decided to make the switch. Um, and at the time I was, you know, it was 2011-ish. Uh, and this was when tech was starting to take off. And I thought, I'm living in Silicon Valley. I want to be an operator. I should go to a tech company, right? Yeah. This is like when my kids one day in the future you know, ask me, you know, you lived through this amazing time. I want to be able to say that I was part of it, right? I was part yeah. of this generation. Yeah. And so I decided to take a job at Square. You wanted to be closer to the operations of a business, so, but you knew that long-term you wanted to stay in investing. It's, is that right? I think that- I thought I enjoyed investing, but I thought I needed to get operational knowledge. And then I, I went into an operating role and then I was like, no, no, I actually love operating and I'm never going back. <laughs> um, so I think I thought I would stay a forever investor, um, but then I decided I think I'm much better at operating. It seems like whenever you did move, it was because of like, I wanted to learn something else. And I think it was, you took, didn't you take like one fifth of your salary or like one sixth, something like you, you, you like your salary went down actually. Was that, is that right? Oh yeah. Um, well, yes, I, I went to Square and yeah, making about one fifth the amount of cash that I had made, but I was okay with that. I wanted to learn. I think a lot of what drives me in life is this feeling of for me to actually be good at what I do, I really have to feel secure in it. I'm not one of those people who can half know something and fake it. Like if I don't know something, 
I fall apart, right? I, I really have to thoroughly understand it. And then I can be really confident and good at what I do. Being in this situation where I maybe somewhat understood operating, but not like it wasn't in my blood. I didn't really understand the details. I didn't really understand what it meant when you had like too much working capital, like swings in that and how that really like impacts your day to day. And you're constantly watching how much inventory you have, right? And being in it, feeling it, actually understanding it when you're just like, when I was in investing, it was like accounts receivables versus accounts payables. It wasn't yeah. like an actual feeling. And so then I wanted to get that that information. So I started out working as analyst for Sarah Fryer, but very quickly on, I joined a woman named Ariana who had started a Hack Week project and um, she was leading the idea of giving out loans to, to merchants at Square. So you'd oh, underwrite yeah. Square's payment processing volume. And I thought it was the most insanely brilliant idea. And I said to her, I was like, this is so awesome. This is going to be the future of Square's. Like, what's the you know returns that you're getting? How are you thinking about defaults, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I don't know any of that number stuff. I just know that our merchants need this. Do you want to come on and join the product side and manage basically all the, the financial side of the business? And I said, mm. yes, I'd love to. And we were on a team. There was like, you know, less than 10 of us. And we grew this thing to be pretty tremendous early on. And that was my first feeling of entrepreneurship. And that's something that really put the bug in me that this was something I wanted to do more long term. Oh, yeah, because that you because you were in finance before the financial and then now yes. moving into the product side, that was your first experience with like, that makes sense. So after the product experience, you said, you know, that you want to start a company at some point. It was such a high, right? I mean, we just saw, I remember handing out the first 36 loans and keeping track of them in my little Excel spreadsheet and being like, we've given out $200,000 worth of of loans and then tracking the like performance. And then we started to scale and then we gave out 2 million worth of loans. And then we gave out 200,000 worth, 200 million worth of loans. And I remember the high of being like, oh my God, this thing is scaling, right? It's actually working. And we used to just be like, like just in shock, complete yeah. shock that this thing was actually working. And that feeling was what I loved, which was like creating something that people really loved and valued and needed. And that feeling was what kind of created the bug in me to continue on that path. In 2014, Adina made the decision to go back to graduate school for her MBA, but it wasn't necessarily a career decision. It was personal for her. When someone close to us passes away, We look for a change in routine, and going back to school was that change that Adina was looking for. After graduating, Adina went to work for a venture capital firm for a year before starting Divi. Now, the difference between a private equity firm and a venture capital firm is that a venture capital firm invests in startups or young businesses that show potential for long-term growth. Then in 2016, Adina started Divi Homes with two other co-founders with a mission to make home ownership accessible to everyone. Now remember, this is something that is deeply personal to Adina because of her parents' journey. They lived paycheck to paycheck, and the only asset was their home. Today, Divi has raised almost $300 million in funding and is changing the world of real estate. The reason you went back to get your MBA was because you knew you wanted to start a company. Like, is that the reason for getting the MBA is because you said you wanted, you know, you want to start a company and you knew this this would be useful. Is is that right? Um, not really, actually. Um... So it was a little bit more of a personal decision. Right before uh, getting my MBA, actually, um, I lost my mom to cancer. And I was going through a lot of, I think, emotional ups and downs. And I just said, you know what? I need a break. I need to reset. And so I decided to go to business school as a way to just take two years for myself to 
breathe um, and grow and feel healthy again. It was just really emotionally trying. So I was actually, I went to business school and I didn't do a summer internship like everyone else. I just spent time getting healthy again, focusing on you know myself. And so that was really what that break, what I needed. Yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that. That was Okay. Been tough. I mean, it's, it's always tough when you lose somebody, but your mom, I couldn't, I can't imagine. I mean, my mom's still alive, but um, yeah. Is, is your dad still alive? My dad is. My dad is. But my family was super supportive of me. And it ended up being this amazing two years where I had a lot of, for the first time since I'd graduated, it had been five years, I had mental space to just think. And I knew coming out of business school that I wanted to go back to entrepreneurship. But I didn't know what I wanted to start. And I also was very certain I didn't want to start something alone. I wanted a co-founder. I felt like that was really critical. And so I decided to take a job in venture capital at DFJ as a way to kind of just watch what was going on in the industry. And then from DFJ, then made the move into the founding Divi. After school, you went to go work for a venture, venture capital firm. And, and I remember reading that the reason you decided to do that is because like you had you know, you had done investment banking and you had done um, private equity, but it was like the only asset class that you hadn't had experience with. Did you know, like going into that role, going into venture capital, did you know, like eventually you you were going to found your own company? I did not know for sure, but I had a feeling that that might be where my life would take me at some point in time. It took me a little quicker than I think I had realized. Um, It's kind of like, you know, when you have like a little inkling in the back of your head, but you're not really sure. And then it yeah. kind of just plays out. You have like a feeling. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel like that year in venture capital, did that help you in terms of like starting a company or like, how, what do you feel like the takeaways from that experience was that one year? So I think that it, it helped me understand how a venture capitalist would analyze my business mm-hmm. if I were to start one, which I think is really important to be on the other side of those conversations to understand how to frame your business as you're starting to scale it up. So I think it did give me a tremendous amount of knowledge, which which I think was really helpful. It also introduced me to other founders. I have this theme of mentorship in my life, which I just feel like I've, I've learned so much from other people. And, you know, one of the people who I ended up meeting during my time in mentor was, you know, Eric Wu, who then mentored me a lot in founding Divi. I think that it helped me establish relationship with other founders who I feel just so fortunate to be able to pick their brain and be like, I'm going to completely mess this up. Tell me how I should do it better. And they give me yeah. the best advice in the world. Yeah, it, it seems like, um, you know, you talk about mentorship and your theme in your life. It seems like it's very important, you know, like I guess the, the it seems like you have great relationship building skills that, you know, obviously that were really important because if, you know, while you're able to build those relationships with people that you worked with, with people that you met in business school, you feel like that obviously helped you a lot in your career. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't think of myself as like an extrovert or particularly good at relationships. I just think I'm kind of I'm a very honest person. So I would just go to people and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you please help me? <laughs> Maybe there's something disarming about that, but people are trying to be like, oh God. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I'll help you. This is, <laughs> you, you seem like you need a little bit of help. And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> um, so maybe it's like some sort of a, a charm from that. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think I was, I was watching this video um, yesterday on LinkedIn. Uh, Simon Sinek, you've probably heard of him, public figure. Yeah. Uh, and Simon Sinek was saying like, uh, <laughs> he's like, when, when I was younger, I was always the idiot because I would always ask questions nobody else wanted to ask. So that, that kind of reminded me of what you're saying now. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. I, 
And I'd always be like, well, this is going to sound a little nutty, but I have no idea what I'm doing with X. And they're like, oh gosh, how did you get to this point without knowing that? And then I'd be like, well, you're going to teach me. So I will know it going forward. And then everything's going to be fine. So I, I mean, I feel really fortunate that people are, we're so willing to be helpful. And I think as a result, I try to be as helpful as possible also along the way. In 2016, you know, you start researching the real estate market and, and I, I think you said you started like writing white papers about people wanting to buy homes, mm. um, but they weren't affordable. You know, then and I think then you met your co-founder, Brian, who had been writing about the same kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, like, when you decided to start Divi, did you ever have like a, a, did you ever have thoughts that like, did you ever fear that it might fail? Oh my gosh, yes. All the time. I remember saying this is a really interesting problem. And I think I have a solution that can help people. And let me just try to put it out there in the world. And I remember I time boxed it in my head, not like actually time boxed it, but mentally I said, I'm going to give this six months. I want to see what I can do in six months. And at the end of six months, I was like, oh, I feel like, you know, we have a couple customers. I feel like people are actually really excited about this. Let's give it till, you know, another year. I want to see myself make this much progress in the next year. And so then we did that and then I was like, okay, keep going. And then it, it slowly builds on itself. And today, obviously, it's, it's something I'm going to hopefully do for the rest of my life. But at yeah. the beginning, yes, I constantly thought Divi might fail. And, and there's always, I think, that risk. So I want to ask a dumb question in its simplest form. Um, what does Divi Homes sure. do? Divi is a modern day rent-to-own program that helps create homeowners. The way it works is you pick out a home, we buy it for you. You rent it back from us and you build equity as you rent it. You can cash out that equity at any, any point in time, or you can apply that equity to a down payment and get a mortgage and eventually own the house. Got it. And so like, let's say I find a home, the application goes through, Divi Homes buys it. Would the rent be equivalent to the mortgage payment? No, rent would be equivalent to essentially market rate rent. And then on top of it, you'd have a savings component. So the savings component would be investing in the home, the equity of the property and would appreciate over time. Um, but it wouldn't be an equivalent payment to a mortgage. It's like rent plus savings on top of it. So you'd you'd be paying a little more than the market rate, but that but that extra goes towards your equity. Does that make sense? Is that, is that completely? Yeah, correct. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask was uh, just out of curiosity, what do you look for when hiring people? I guess specifically for Divi, I know you guys are hiring now. What stands out in candidates to you personally? Number one thing is just attitude. Number one, it's like just excited to to come on board, excited about the mission, willingness to learn and grow, like all of that, the energy of the person is is number one. Second is work ethic. Very few people who join Divi actually know real estate super well, right? But you have to have a willingness to work hard and learn. I always believe that no matter how much time I spend with someone, even if I spend hours with someone before I hire them, that in no way does it compare to the amount of time that a former colleague has spent with them. And so I rely really heavily on references. That's super important to me to have really strong references in someone that I hire. So my advice is be really thoughtful about everyone who you work with, every colleague. Um, treat everyone really well because they might be your reference in the future. Have a good attitude and show that you'll work, work your butt off. Something I look for when I decide to partner with someone is 
ethics. I think that when you're doing a partnership, there's always a million different ways that the partnership contract, you're missing something or something's not going to be there. But I try to partner with people who are fundamentally good people. So I know that no matter what, we're aligned, you know, that we'll do right by each other. The most important quality in a leader is? I'll separate this. The most important quality in an entrepreneur is perseverance. Number one quality, maybe in a leader, is ability um, to inspire others. Something I've personally struggled with as a leader has been not delegating enough, micromanaging. Very early on, I had a really hard time letting go of different parts of the business because I built it all myself. Um, something I've worked on. Something I do to make sure I feel positive and stay productive is work out every morning. If I were to go back and talk to my younger self in my mid-20s, I would tell myself be patient. I wanted to be promoted. I wanted to know I was making progress in my career. Um, and to have a little bit more just open-mindedness around the fact that not everything is going to come immediately. One setback or failure in my early 20s that I will never forget is... I think my biggest failures or regrets are relationships I didn't nurture as much as I should have. Not remembering that relationships are really long and you've got to be patient and do well by people um, and be thoughtful in every connection, every person, every relationship you make. The sweetest moment I felt in my entire career was when... When I was at Square, my mom was very sick and we were in the hospital. A bunch of uh, my friends made a video that was um, a montage of just like, we love you, Adina, you're gonna be okay, get through this. It's like a 15 minute long video. I mean, it was the most insane thing ever. And I just remember falling as soon as I got it. Um, and these little random acts of kindness are what makes work really great. Obviously, to have a, a long career ahead of me, looking forward, if I could be remembered for just one thing, it would be... Doing good by people, uh, having a positive impact on the world and knowing that I'm doing the right thing and helping helping make someone else's life a little bit better. And then the last one is, if I were stranded on an island and I had access to one meal, it would be... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, very broadly, carbs, uh, probably. Pasta. Uh, pasta, pizza, and bread, chocolate, salted, malted, caramel ice cream by Salt and Straw, which is like the best oh, ice cream in the I was, I was at Salt and Straw yesterday. Thank you so, so much for listening. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please leave us a quick, quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to us that you listen, and we would appreciate it if you just took a few seconds to leave us a quick rating and review. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week. Take care.